Hey, it's Rick Kettner here. And in this episode, we're gonna go through three key insights from Influence, The Psychology of Persuasion by Dr. Robert Cialdini. Now, this is a very interesting book because its original intent was to help the reader avoid being persuaded by the various techniques that are covered in it. And yet, this has become a cult classic amongst salespeople and marketers and others that are ultimately interested in becoming more influential and more persuasive. So even though the entire content is written to help the reader identify and avoid being manipulated by these techniques, it's become a manual of sorts for the kind of person that actually wants to manipulate or to persuade people more effectively. Now, I'm always hesitant to recommend a book like this because some readers will think that it's a good idea to abuse these techniques, to manipulate their customers for personal gain, and yet not only is that highly unethical, but it's one of the fastest ways to destroy trust and credibility for your business or your brand. So in this episode, we're gonna go through three of my favorite principles from the book, and I'm gonna give you examples of both the right way and the wrong way to apply these principles in your business so you can get a sense for how you might be able to use these techniques ethically to create value for your customers and to enhance your business. So with that in mind, let's dive into insight number one, the principle of reciprocation. As human beings, we have a natural desire to repay the generosity of other people. So when somebody offers us a gift or does us a favor or offers us an invitation to something, well, we're more likely to want to repay that favor than to just simply accept it and to not engage in some form of reciprocation. And this is something that is strongly reinforced by our culture because throughout history, the communities that have been most successful are those that are able to cooperate with each other and engage in this kind of exchange where it's not necessarily one for one, but you can generously do something for somebody else, knowing that the odds are at some point in the future, they will repay that favor to you and the whole system works. Now, there are two interesting additional things to factor in here that make this particular aspect of society very ripe for manipulation. And the first is that not only do we like to repay favors, but we also have a strong inclination to accept uninvited favors or gifts. So if somebody gives you something, you don't really have control over that feeling of indebtedness because you didn't get to choose to receive a gift. They simply gave it to you, and now you have this natural desire to reciprocate. And the other, the second thing to add on to this is that this kind of exchange isn't always equal, and often it's the other party that can initiate the return favor. So for example, and this is a perfect example of how not to do things, but this is actually very common in business. There are charities out there that might offer you some small token gift, like a flower or a keychain or something relatively inexpensive as a completely free gift to you with the idea of immediately asking for a donation that is significantly more valuable than the gift itself. And when it comes to charity, we tend to forgive this kind of approach because generally speaking, most people believe and accept that charities are a good thing in society, so we're pretty forgiving. But there are businesses that apply this exact same technique, and so this is where the principle can be very abused, very easily abused by businesses. Now, that's an example of how not to use the technique. I think if you go down that road, you very much risk 
burning trust and credibility and being seen as a manipulative business or business person, depending on the scenario. What I would recommend instead in terms of understanding this principle and how to apply it in your business is to simply recognize that generosity tends to be repaid. And so rather than seeking to manipulate people, understand that it's in your best interest to lead with value to create value for your customers, to go out of your way, to give generously. This is especially popular or very powerful when it comes to the internet because, of course, it's highly scalable to lead with value by creating, let's say, a PDF report or a free video series or even something like content marketing where you're producing content that can help your audience and it can improve their lives. And you're not asking for anything in return, but simply understanding this rule, the rule of reciprocity, you know that at least some portion of those people will end up returning the favor in some way in the future. And so rather than seeing it as a manipulation, see it as just a great excuse to be more generous in everyday life. After all, that is why this rule of reciprocity has served humanity so well throughout history. Let's continue on to insight number two, the principle of social proof. When a situation is unclear or when we don't know what action we should take, generally speaking, we look to the actions of other people to help us make our own decision about how to proceed forward. So the classic example that I like to use when explaining social proof is, let's say that you're driving through your local community and you see a brand new restaurant that recently opened. Well, if you drive past that restaurant and the parking lot is completely empty, that tells you something about the restaurant. And what we tend to do is we assume that other people might know something that we don't. And because the parking lot is empty, we assume those people have a reason for not going to the restaurant. And so we're more likely to drive past the restaurant and avoid going there because we see that other people have made the same decision. Now, if we drive past that exact same restaurant and the parking lot is completely full, well, we go through the same logic tree. We think those people must know something that we don't. They must have some reason to want to go to that restaurant. Maybe we would enjoy the restaurant as well. And this is what's known as social proof. Seeing other people engage in a certain behavior or avoid a certain behavior tells us something about that activity. And in this case, the social proof is that the restaurant must be a good restaurant and we're more likely to enjoy it. Now, the way that businesses abuse this strategy should be pretty obvious. What they might do under this kind of a scenario is when they launch their new restaurant, they'll invite all their family and friends to park their cars in the parking lot, even though they're not planning to be customers of the restaurant, just to give the illusion that the restaurant is popular. And you can imagine all kinds of businesses using similar tactics to create the illusion of social proof, where it appears that other people like the product or the service or the business. And this, of course, would be manipulation. And so that would be the wrong approach. That's not what I would recommend that you do. There are times where I think every business is engaged in this kind of behavior, but generally speaking, that's not the path that you want to go down. The much better solution is to simply recognize this principle Avoid being ignorant to it because the last thing that you want to do is not understand how this mechanism works and that if you don't build momentum with your business, then it makes it harder for other people to be interested in your business. So simply knowing this and being aware of the principle might lead you to, for example, create 
a big marketing campaign, a big launch event for your new product or for your new business, or to use this example, your new restaurant. And you wanna make sure that right from day one, you have a full parking lot, you have a full restaurant. So when people walk in the restaurant, not only is the parking lot outside full, but the restaurant is full, it's buzzing, and you can build this kind of momentum by simply understanding the principle of social proof. So it's not about manipulating it, it's about avoiding ignorance to it and understanding the value of creating genuine momentum, of attracting initial customers, satisfying them, and ensuring that you create this forward momentum where social proof starts to invite other people to engage with your business because they see that it's already popular. Let's continue on to insight number three, the principle of scarcity. This is a big one, and the idea here is that opportunities appear more valuable to us when their availability is limited in some way. So for example, a product might have limited stock available, an event might be invite only, a product that we might have a passing interest in is in a temporary discount where we can save some money. In all of these situations, we're not only more interested in the item or the product or the service and feeling like it's more valuable, but also we have a strong sense of urgency in terms of taking advantage of the opportunity. And the core reason for this is that scarcity limits our freedoms. If we feel like waiting on that opportunity will cause us to no longer be in control of our situation where we can dictate whether or not we take advantage of a discount or can buy the product while it's still in stock, well, we feel like we need to take action to maintain a sense of control. And likewise, if an event is invite only, because we have limited control in terms of our ability to get an invitation, well, now it seems more valuable, it seems more interesting, even if we weren't particularly interested in attending the event before finding out that it's invite only. So the core idea here is that scarcity makes things appear more attractive, and it also causes us to take action when we might not otherwise. Now, the wrong way to apply this principle, even though it's incredibly popular in business today, is to create artificial scarcity, to pretend like your products or your services are limited in their availability or that there's limited inventory or something like that when it's not actually true. And I'm embarrassed to say this is something that I've done in the past. You see many other businesses engaging in this practice. And when you read a book like this, it's very tempting to feel like this is just another tool in your toolbox where you can create urgency and you can get customers to take action. And even though it can be successful in the short term, you really don't wanna go down this path because number one, most importantly, it's wrong and it never feels good to mislead customers. But even further than that, as I hinted at earlier in this episode, you risk damaging your credibility and your reputation when you go down this road. Even though it feels acceptable and there are many businesses engaging in this, it's wrong and it never feels good to mislead customers. And perhaps just as important, you don't wanna put your team in an awkward position where they're forced to mislead customers because number one, it's unfair to them, but also you don't wanna create a culture where 
members of your team think it's okay or that it's encouraged to mislead customers. What you really wanna be doing is focusing on creating great products and providing great value and helping customers and making the world a better place. And if you're stuck with these awkward ethical decisions about whether or not to create artificial scarcity and to put your team in the awkward position of having to move forward with that kind of a strategy, well, it's harmful for your culture and it's just not moving in the right direction. So a much better approach is to build products and services that have genuine scarcity. For example, clothing brands like Lululemon and Nike intentionally mix up their designs and mix up their color options because that way, when you go into a store and you see a design that you like, not only do you have a sense of urgency to buy that design because it might not be available soon, but you actually get a more valuable product because when you take it home, you know that that's a more unique design and that you're less likely to come across other people that have it. Now, for online businesses, like let's say you're putting together online training courses, instead of just making a pre-recorded course that's available to everybody, you can add value in the form of live interaction with the students. So you might have your course take place over a number of weeks where every week you have a Q&A session or you might actually conduct the course live over the internet, or you might find some other way to increase value while at the same time naturally limiting classroom size because if you have too many students, then the Q&A section or the live interaction wouldn't be nearly as productive. So now you have an authentic and reasonable reason why you're limiting classroom size. And it's a functional reason, it's not artificial. You're intentionally adding value by limiting the size of the class so that everybody can get their questions answered. So this is the kind of thinking that you wanna go down. Instead of looking to create artificial scarcity, you wanna add value by creating genuine scarcity. Anyway, those are three of my favorite insights from the book. We covered reciprocation, social proof, and scarcity, but the book does cover six principles of influence, which also include commitment and consistency, liking, and authority. And of course, the book covers each one of them in much more detail. So if you're a marketer, if you're a salesperson, if you're a leader, or anybody else interested in becoming more influential or more persuasive, then I recommend that you pick up a copy of Influence, The Psychology of Persuasion by Dr. Robert Cialdini. That's it for this episode. If you have any questions or comments about anything that we covered here, let me know down in the comments section below. If you're interested in more content like this in the future, I recommend that you subscribe or follow my updates on social media. Thank you for tuning in and I look forward to connecting with you again in a future episode.